Good morning, gentle people. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And uh, over here, let's see, on the red mic is my buddy Jim Shorney. Have you tested the coffee yet? Yeah, coffee's good, nice and strong. Sulawisi. You don't have your headphones on. The coffee with a fun name, I know. <laughs> and you've got funny-looking ears. Sulawisi, it's fun to say. Sulawisi. Say it out loud. Sulawisi. Sulawisi. Yeah, it's, it tastes like it's extra strong this morning. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I think we both have a need for that. <clears throat> I told Jim before uh, the show started that I, I really needed coffee today, and I knew that because mm-hmm. I had made this great pot and then driven off and left it sitting on the counter, so I had to go back and get the coffee. Well, it could be worse. You could have been all the way down here before you turned around. I've done that before. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, We've got a great show for you today. We're going to start off with Charlene and Pet Talk with Dogs and Cats for Adoption from the Capital Humane Society. And then Invisible Signals with Lloyd Arbach. He's currently teaching a class called Field Investigations, Investigating Apparitions, Hauntings, and Poltergeists. Our main author is, excuse me, our main guest is Carol Brody Fleet. And her brand new book is called Loss is a Four-Letter Word, a Bereavement Boot Camp for the Widowed. Kick grief in the blank blank and take your life back. (laughs) Here's Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, always bringing up the intelligent quotient a couple degrees. Charlene, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Thank you for asking. Doing really well, and I'm just loving this weather. I like this Nebraska fall. Yes, me too. Yeah, and as we discussed off air, the t- trees are starting to turn nicely, and uh, it's getting really beautiful out there. Yeah, our neighborhood is full of different colors. The red ones are really striking. Mm-hmm. Tails and ties dinner. When's that? That is coming up next Friday, October twenty sixth. Uh, you can find information on our website at capitalhumanesociety.org. It's a really fun night. We'll have a silent auction, a live auction. It's a great time to gather with other people who care about animals and just celebrate all our successes through the year. Hey, Jim, you know what else is going on out there? Uh, No, why don't you tell me? Pet pictures with Santa. Santa's coming. Can you believe it? (laughs) We're already getting geared up for that. That's November 9th and 13th. Wind me up. Sounds like a lot of fun here. It is. And you can see there's a couple pictures there on our website. The animals are so cute. (laughs) And our Santa is awesome. So it's always a really fun event. And it's just a great way to support our work and also get some great photographs to send to friends and family during the holidays. Okay, so it's uh, November 9th and 13th at Camp Bow Wow. Right. It's 5 to 8 p.m., and there's more information up on the website, capitalhumanesociety.org. It's going to be fun. That's right. Yeah, yep, exactly. Do you want to start with dogs or cats for adoption? Uh, well, let's start with dogs. Okay, then. And we usually do three, and we have three. <laughs> So we'll start with our baby girl, who's been waiting the longest Mm -hmm. and deserves a little extra attention. She's two years old, a spade female, a shepherd mix, 
uh, looking for the right family that can provide her with proper care and training. She, when she, you know, is your friend, she's your loyal buddy, and we know there's a family out there that can provide her with the, the home and the love that she deserves and needs. Oh, we'd love to have her adopted, folks. Uh, look at her picture, baby girl. Uh, she is just waiting for those folks that are just right for her and she for them. That could be your family. Uh, and please take a look at Baby Girl, capitalhumanesociety.org. She is joined by... Joey. And Joey is a very cute chocolate Labrador, about a year old, a neutered male. Very high energy, is looking for a family that can keep up with him and will provide him with ample playtime, training. Um, and he is uh, housed uh, at Camp Bow Wow, so we do sometimes have animals available off-site. Uh, so you would give them a call to set up a time to meet Joey. I, I think Joey is a repeat guest on our show as well, is he not? He has, yeah. yeah. He has made a, <laughs> an appearance before. <laughs> so we need to get these two adopted out there, folks. Come on. Yeah, Joey's got those interesting facial features and, and the way that his eyes are colored with the fur around there. It looks like he's almost got mm -hmm. glasses on. He's a so. handsome fella. Yeah. Cool looking guy. Okay, baby girl Joey and then there's Ty, a very handsome yellow lab, a big boy, eighty five pounds, oh, six yeah. years old. We have two pictures of him, a profile and one that's straight on. Both he's very happy. <laughs> he, oh, yeah. he is vocal, so he <laughs> he does tend to have his mouth open during the picture. <laughs> so, but once you get uh, him out and are walking him, he really uh, the volunteer who had him out this morning said he was walking right by his side. He really is charming and well behaved. He just wants some attention. Mm -hmm. I like that name too. I had a friend that had a dog years ago with the name of Ty. Baby girl Joey and Ty, and their pictures are up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Go out and see them today, tomorrow. Here is Shirley with Hours Open. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center will be open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530. Ooh, can I pick uh, one, of the, the, one of the cats? Oh, yes. Okay, well, my favorite flavor... Um, for dessert would be butterscotch. Ooh, yeah, oh. that's that's the first one that my eyes went to when I pulled up that page. Let's pick butterscotch for our first cat. She yeah. is a really good one to pick. She's 11 months old, a domestic short hair, and there's a little profile shot of her that she looks, she's kind of gazing uh, yeah. off into the distance. Or kind of like, uh, like you woke me up for this. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have a treat. <laughs> Yeah, she uh, is adorable, though. Yeah. She's housed with another cat, so she seems to do okay with other felines. And she is pretty, and she is nice. Very so pretty. She is, yeah, a good, a good, good kitty, and we hope she gets adopted Orange soon. and black and gray and white and who knows what else. <laughs> Very gorgeous. Looks like a, somebody took a piece of a quilt and, and wrapped it around a cat, almost. Yep. Butterscotch, great-looking cat, and Butterscotch is joined by... Abby, and Abby is five months old, just a young cat. She's a tortie, so she has the black and orange markings, really striking eyes, just a beautiful kitten, uh, short, soft fur, mm -hmm. looking for a family that wants to have an adorable sidekick. Yeah, great markings on her face there. Uh, Abby, great-looking cat, joins Butterscotch... Two cats, you're better than one. And then there's... 
Well, speaking of two cats, we have a perfect pair. So it's Ling Ling and Bruiser. <laughs> and they are two cats that are bonded. They're both five years old. They're best of friends, probably litter mates, for, and uh, just have been living together. So we are looking for a home that will take both of them. Um, and if you're ready for twice the fun, these two are loads of fun. That's the way, folks, that I went years ago when I adopted cats. Uh, went out to uh, adopt just one and ended up with two cats. And I'm sure glad that, that, I, that, we, uh, that we found Jasmine and Sananda. They had uh, lots of fun. They exchange personalities. They chase each other. Sometimes they get mad at each other, and then they end up sleeping with their noses touching, curled up in the kitty bed. And uh, so you can enjoy that fun and a whole lot more. Butterscotch. Go ahead. It's really, it's calming when you see your two kitties just curled up together. It just makes you just kind of breathe lighter and feel better. It's so cute. Their pictures are up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org, Butterscotch Abbey, Ling Ling, and Bruiser. And uh, go out and see them today or tomorrow. And, Charlene, what are the hours open again? We are open today and tomorrow from 11 to 5.30. Okay, have a great rest of day and go Big Red. Absolutely. You have a great day, too. Thanks, Charlene. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place that you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. I'm Scott Colborn, and uh, it's sure great to be with you. Next week, we've got, uh, I think, a great show. It's a Halloween-flavored show, and we'll have some special guests on here telling ghost stories. Next week, we also celebrate uh, another milestone in the broadcast it will be 34 years that we mark with next week's program. 34 years of broadcast, and we started the program back in October of 1984. So what were you doing 34 years ago? Uh, we were contemplating the, sh the show, and KZUM said, sounds great, come on aboard, and, and you can do it. And uh, I appreciate the support of the board of directors, the membership, all the people that, uh, that listen to KZUM, we've been really blessed with a, a great run so far. We've got more in store, and I feel like I've got maybe another 34 years left in me. So that would be a lot of fun to, to have that sort of record standing of about 65, 68 years of, of broadcast. So 34 years next week, and we're going to have a great pre-Halloween program of ghost stories in the morning with some really special guests. We've got some other great folks coming up. Two weeks from today, it seems like it's still a long ways off, but two weeks from today, I'm going to be in Laughlin, Nevada, having drug cajoled and begged people to come to my hotel room. And I'll be at the Aquarius Casino and Resort. And we'll be doing the Starworks USA UFO Symposium, a live broadcast from that symposium. Three weeks from today, we've got William Hall and Jimmy Peninito. Phantom messages, chilling phone calls, letters, emails, and texts from unknown realms. November 17th, our friend Paul Blake Smith joins us. He's got a brand new book out called JFK 
and the Willard Hotel plot. And I just got that book yesterday. Our friends Rob and Trish McGregor are up on November 24th. Secrets of Spirit Communication. Techniques for Tuning In and Making Contact. December 1st, we've got Nomar Slevik. Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. First-time guests, Dan Baldwin, Rhonda Hull, and Dwight Hull join us on December 8th. Speaking with the Spirits of the Old Southwest, Conversations with Miners, Outlaws, and Pioneers Who Still Roam Ghost Towns. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. We're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And we've got our friend Lloyd Arbach on the phone. Lloyd is, uh, I believe, in the San Francisco area. Is that correct, Lloyd? Yep, that's right. Good morning to you, and how are you and your family doing? Oh, we're doing fine, thanks. Is this a busy time of the year for you, Lloyd? Not as busy as it used to be, but uh, it's getting a little busy. I saw on uh, the Ryan Education Center that you've got a class taking place. Field investigations, yeah. investigating apparitions, hauntings, and poltergeists. Is there a distinction that you make between the terms ghost or spirits? Well, you know, the word ghost, I think, um, generally has a common meaning here in the United States. It has different meanings, though, for people with different cultural backgrounds. So we tend to use the word apparition mm-hmm. to refer to consciousness after somebody's death. Um, however, you know, I'll use the word apparition and the word ghost interchangeably. And really, um, I think the only people who make different distinction with spirit and ghost would be probably mediums and some psychics. Mm-hmm. Uh, to many mediums, the definition of a ghost is someone who is sticking around here. They haven't gone on to the, to the other side yet. They died. Their, their spirit is still here. They haven't moved on. Whereas spirit, they tend to use that for someone who's kind of coming back or projecting back from the other side. Um, and apparitions is, if, if somebody saw an apparition, is that the rarest of the rare? Well, it, it, it depends. Um, the most common phenomena of, of all of our ghostly phenomena is people having an experience of some kind with a friend or relative or loved one who just died or at the moment of death or been hours or even no more than a couple of days of the death of that person. And that's, we, we call that an apparitional experience for sure. I mean, whether you saw or heard or felt the presence or smelled something associated, it's still an apparition. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones who stick around are pretty rare. It seems that people sometimes do stick around for a tiny bit of time to say goodbye and then they move on. But the ones who stick around longer than that, that's rare. Um, and how can we, how do we encounter ghosts or spirits? Um, I could tick off the senses that we employ, 
Uh, but tell us about that. Besides the full-blown apparition, how else do we encounter ghosts and spirits? Well, you know, we are experiencing ghosts and hauntings through our psychic senses. We, this, even though you may mm-hmm. think you think you see a ghost with your eyes, it is not your eyes. It is your mind's eye that's seeing the ghost. Uh, so what happens is we get information about that person. Uh, they're giving it off, essentially. And the information is going into our head via telepathy. Uh, it's, it's kind of a psychic thing. And our brains will process that information, usually along the lines of something that's in you. So, in other words, if you are psychically visual, then you'll get a visual sight of the ghost. If you're not terribly visual from a psychic perspective, you may actually only hear the ghost or feel the presence or Mm -hmm. smell cologne or perfume associated with the ghost. Mm -hmm. So it varies quite a bit depending on the individual. And we've had cases where there are witnesses that one person sees the ghost, another person will hear the ghost's voice, another person will feel presence, Mm -hmm. and someone else will feel something else or will actually um, smell the cologne or perfume. So it really depends on you individually. Uh, Human beings tend to put huge emphasis on sight, but we have so many olfactory and auditory apparitions, you know, it's just, it's it's out there Mm -hmm. for that. There are uh, the TV reality shows that claim that that during the filming, somebody is uh, pushed down the stairs. Somebody is yeah. almost knocked off their feet. Uh, I have personally never encountered that in my years of collecting stories. Have Have you encountered that? What would you say if somebody said, I was just about knocked off my feet. Well, first of all, um, most ghosts don't seem to have any psychokinetic ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes quite a while for someone sitting around to actually cause something to move, it seems. We have very few cases where, uh, you know, fewer than the few, you might say, uh, the ghostly cases where things are moving. So there's that. When someone feels like a ghost to touch them, that's a psychic impression. So, I, you know, I've been on the USS Hornet Aircraft Carrier Museum, which has got a number of apparitions on it, mm-hmm. and I have felt my arms squeezed, and I have felt patted on the back. But when I was patted on the back, I was wearing kind of a... I had somebody directly behind me, a cameraman, in fact, and I had a, a windbreaker on, and he said, you know, he showed me the footage. There was no indication that anybody touched me. So it was how I, I felt that mental impression of someone patting me on the back, what was going on. So that's one thing. It's not a physical push down the stairs, but you might actually get that if that was going to happen at all. However, it's pretty rare. I mean, you know, ghosts don't try to get people's attention that way. And I can think of, I've had two cases in particular. One where the, the person saw the ghost, was shot, and turned around and ran into the wall in his own house, witnessed by his wife and his two kids, knocked himself silly, and when he kind of came out of his fog, he immediately blamed 
uh, the ghost, and the ghost threw him into the wall. <laughs> wow. And the, the, the wife and the kids saw the ghost standing several feet away, and just, the kids started laughing at that point at their father. It was pretty clearly his reaction to what happened, and that's mm-hmm. what I think is going on. Mm-hmm. In pretty much the other case, the other case, the ghost pushed him down the stairs, the ghost was standing below him on the stairs. Uh, and it's possible that there, you know, there are bullies out there, but, you know, that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. When you hear stories of people uh, at the Gettysburg Monument uh, encountering what appear to be reenactors reliving part of that battle, and they're later told by the park ranger that there were no reenactors on the field that day in that part of the battlefield... How would you classify that? Is that a, a, a haunting? Is that a, a trace, a residual trace? Well, for us, a haunting is the residual. It is an imprint. It is a recording. Um, and you'll hear people on TV call it a residual haunting, but that's what all of them are, mm-hmm. technically. Uh, you know, when you're using the word haunting, you have to kind of use it in a context, the correct context. So from a phenomenal perspective, uh, Gettysburg is a haunting. It is an imprint of what's on there. Uh, It's not conscious entities at all. It doesn't seem to be. There's no evidence from anybody's experience that that's what's going on on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, of course, the word haunt or haunting can also refer to something else. So we talk about a haunting refrain of music, something that haunts our thoughts. We talk about um, people who haunt the the bars that they go to or the restaurants they go to. And this is a, with a common phrase, a common term, rather, in old movies, in old detective movies especially, where they talk about the suspect's old haunts. So technically, Norm and Cliff on the TV show Cheers were haunting Cheers, mm-hmm. even though they're still alive. <laughs> yeah. we, all, we all have our haunts. We all have places that we go to all the time. So we're haunting places when we're alive. Mm-hmm. So the class that you're teaching um, can be taken by the archive. So uh, can people still sign up for this? Yes, they certainly can. They can catch up. In fact, I just had one somebody sign up late last week. Because uh, we're only about to do the third lecture, third week lecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can also take it for a grade or they can just take it for fun. So you can definitely join in whenever. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're going to be offering other classes. Of course, we, we continually offer classes throughout the year. Mm-hmm. This one is an investigations class. And uh, I hope people just take a look and see what else we have available, in fact, from the Ryan Center. Because the classes, I think uh, people get a lot out of them. We've gotten really positive uh, responses from people over the years, last few years. I am really happy to, to see that you're doing this, Lloyd. And... And uh, it's certainly needed out there, especially this investigations class, because there are so many people that see a reality TV program for a season, and then they spend a couple hundred bucks on gadgets, and they want to go out and and tell people they're now a a ghost hunter and and an investigator, and they've had no training whatsoever. So uh, if you you folks are interested, um, RyanEducationCenter.org. Uh, if you go there, you'll see a list of classes, and uh, 
This is field investigations, investigating apparitions, hauntings, and poltergeists with Lloyd Arbach. Lloyd, thank you so much for joining us this week. It's always great, my friend, to hear from you. Thank you, Scott. Take care. Lloyd Arbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. You'll find him also on Facebook. The author of one of my favorite books, ESP, Hauntings and Poltergeists, and uh, the classic book, Mind Over Matter. I'm Scott Colborn. We're going to take a short break here. We'll be back with our special guest, Carol Brody Fleet. She's the author of a brand new book called Loss is a Four-Letter Word, a bereavement boot camp for the widowed. Stay tuned because there's going to be a lot more right after this. Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln, and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from the Nebraska Recycling Council, helping to protect the natural environment and extend the life of our landfill, reminding Lincoln and Lancaster County that corrugated cardboard will not be accepted at the landfill. For more on recycling services and area drop-off sites, nrcne.org or 406 2384. Recycling in Lincoln is easy and free. Start today by recycling aluminum cans, paper products, plastics, and much more from your home or business. With drop-off containers all around Lincoln, everyone can find a recycling location close to them. Visit lincoln.ne.gov keyword recycle to find more information, including the location closest to your home or business and interactive video quizzes for children. Do the right thing. Do the recycling thing. Lincoln Literacy assists people of all cultures and strengthens the Lincoln community by teaching English language and literacy skills. Whether it's adult basic literacy or English as a learning language, Lincoln Literacy offers a wide range of both one-on-one tutoring and classes held across the city. Open enrollment is scheduled for every Monday and Saturday, and regular training sessions are held for volunteer tutors. For more information, call 402-476-READ or visit lincolnliteracy.org. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
from the band Enigma from their previous recording Cobalt. I'm Scott Colborn. You're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. It's sure great to have you with us. Next week we celebrate 34 years of broadcast and I have the opportunity on the show of talking with so many interesting folks and that would certainly include our our guest today. This is kind of a, a neat part one of two parts, almost a double header because we have Carol Brody Fleet with us today, and she's also going to be back on the last show of 2018 on December 29th. Carol Brody Fleet is an award-winning author of a number of books, When Bad Things Happen to Good Women, Happily Even After, Widows Wear Stilettos, and the brand new book, Loss is a four-letter word, a bereavement boot camp for the widowed. She's been a past guest on the show. You've also heard her on other radio and TV shows. A three-time contributor to Chicken Soup for the Soul. And she gives practical, emotional, and humorous advice to millions of folks who have experienced any kind of loss or challenge in their lives, and that would include every single one of us. So please put your hands together if you're not driving a car, <laughs> and welcome Carol Brody Fleet. Hi, Carol. Hi, Scott. How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, what's What's in your cup this morning? What does Carol Brody Fleet like to drink? Oh my gosh! Um, it depends on the time of day. I guess right about now it is coffee. Or sometimes my favorite English breakfast tea. Mm-hmm. Shout out to my Brit, my favorite Brit. <laughs> and uh, or of course when I'm on the radio, my smart water. Smart In- water. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I need some of that, Jim. You sure do. You said smart water. He looked at me and raised his eyebrows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jim, behave yourself. So well, it might help him remember that coffee that, that he forgets occasionally. <laughs> Carol, what part of the world do we find you in this morning? You find me 
find me in sunny Southern California, where I have already complained to Jim that it is still summertime here. And I am personally ready for a great big dose of autumn. So if you could send some of that our way, I'd be very grateful. Oh, geez. It's just gorgeous yeah. here, Jim. We'll, we'll sure try. We've got the, the leaves well, turning here, and we've got just fall colors abundantly in all mm-hmm. nature. We've got a, a bright, sunny sky, probably temperatures today in the 50s, low maybe, 60s. Maybe, yeah, low 60s. Oh, it's just beautiful. That's so gorgeous. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I am going to be back with you on December 29th. Very excited about that. And I cannot wait for your weather forecasting and sharing on December 29th. <laughs> and I'll do the same, and we'll see how that we'll goes. <laughs> uh, Carol, uh, have you always been interested... Um, professionally and personally in the subject of bereavement, loss, grief, what, uh, what, what started you on this path? Well, I've always, I've always loved to write. I, I think I got hooked on writing when I was 12 years old and I saw a poem of mine in our yearbook. And I saw my name as a byline for the first time, and I thought, yep, that's for me. Um, So I've always loved writing. Um, I don't honestly believe that I've – I don't know of anybody who says, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to write for the bereaved, and I'm going to write for the grieving. I think that, for me, it it was kind of a perfect storm. I've always aspired to be in service to others in some form or fashion. Um, I thought I would be able to do that in the legal profession, uh, which is where I'm actually from by education and degree. But uh, while I love the law and have tremendous respect for it and I love studying it, uh, there were aspects of it that, that I did not love. And I, I just really, I really just felt like I wanted to make a difference in the world and I just wasn't sure how that was going to manifest. Mm-hmm. And it was not really until... I became widowed myself, that it dawned on me that there might be other people looking for the kind of support that I had been looking for years earlier, and I couldn't find. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you'll go back to that time with me for a second, I was widowed in 2000. Now, we kind of forget that the Internet of today was not the Internet of yesteryear. Mm-hmm. And really... When I became a widow, the Internet was in its infancy, and nobody really knew quite what to do with it. I mean, at that point in time, I just remember having a choice between chat rooms and porn, and I didn't need either one of those things. It wasn't the source of support uh, and community and resource that it is today. So I went looking for books to kind of helped me navigate these unchartered for me waters and I couldn't find any that really spoke to me in a way that I needed. They were great books if you were looking for nothing but inspiration Mm -hmm. or you just really wanted to stay in a place of grief. And I didn't want to stay in a place of grief and inspiration is great. As you know, Scott, I, I write the inspirational and motivational things and that's awesome. But what about getting my benefits from the government? And how do I help a child when I can't even get out of my own pajamas? And what about the really goofy things that people are saying to me now? And 
can I even think about dating again? Is that is that right? Have I caught my limit at at this age? And all of these questions and conundrums needed addressing, and nobody that I could find was doing it. And as I'm really fond of saying, and I believe wholeheartedly, if you can't find it, create it. And uh, hopefully that's what I've been able to do over the years. Uh, every one of us uh, is going to experience loss of some kind. Um, our our plans are totally turned upside down. Our lives are um, irrevocably changed in many situations. Uh, and we uh, we need some way to be able to figure our way through that and beyond. And uh, Carol, frankly, until I came across your work, um, I didn't know of a lot. Um, as, a, as a Christian, I know of many stories in, in holy scriptures from the Christian, the Judaic, um, and a number of the other world religions that talk about people that have gone through loss and separation and grief. Um, but there was not a lot of how-to stuff. In many cases, for me, uh, now a guy in my 60s, growing up, it was the sort of the Robert Mitchum, you bite down hard on a piece of wood, and you uh -huh, grit your right. teeth, and you just, you know, you just move through it, and you work hard and occupy yourself so you don't have to think about anything. But as you just brought up minutes ago, there are so many intricacies that pop up that you go, wait a minute. Uh, how do I deal with this? What do I do? Um, you know, you've got um, accounts, for example, that you and your partner uh, have maintained separately. And um, upon their passing, suddenly those account holders are saying to you, uh, give us money, pay us off. Right. And, you know, what do you do? Do you talk to your attorney do you go ahead and give them the money they're asking for? What's your legal recourse? What's their, you know, what's the, what do you do? There are so many uh, navigational areas that people need help in. And so I'm really pleased again to see this, this uh, current book. Tell me how you came up. Was it you or your editor for this uh, really catchy title, Loss is a Four-Letter Word? I came up with that one. That, that one was mine. And I was very blessed and happy that the editor and the publisher loved it as well. Um, loss, is a, is a, it is a four-letter word. I mean, it literally is. But when we think of four-letter words, obviously we, we go through the four-letter words in our head. And I wanted to kind of put that in with those nasty words, those, mm -hmm. those bad words that we don't like. And it makes people smile. And or it, it, it certainly has appeared to. Uh, and that's what I wanted to do was, you know, grab a reader's attention. Mm -hmm. That's what all authors aspire to do. But loss is a four-letter word that none of us really like, and I played on that word to make people smile. And the reason I refer to it as a bereavement boot camp is really to put in the mind of the reader that it's time to take charge of their healing journey, maybe for the first time since their loss. And 
that seems like such an obvious statement. Of course you're in charge of your healing journey. It's yours. But you would be stunned at the number of people who relinquish the power of ownership to possibly be the most important life and journey they'll ever embark on. And since the last thing that anybody feels after a loss is a sense of control, I wanted to grab the reader's attention and immediately show them that there is a way to control. There is a way to empowerment. And I wanted to start with the title itself. So I was blessed and honored when Carol said, Scott, um, you and I have had a relationship here on the radio show, and we've talked many times about loss and grief. I'm writing this new book, and would you consider writing something on my work and on the book? So I'm honored that when I flipped open the book on what would be the second page inside the cover is a piece by myself. <laughs> so thank you so much. I was happy to, to provide well, that to thank you. thank you so much. Um, I also want to point out two things. Um, first of all, you know, uh, editors are notorious for editing. And rarely does something make it into a book, my own writing included, that is reprinted word for word. Your very, very kind uh, testimonial well, was reprinted you. word for word. Awesome. And in the interest of full disclosure, and you might not be aware that if you go through the acknowledgments, you're going to find yourself in the acknowledgments as well. I'll be darned. Yes, I'll, I'll right. You are, I believe, I believe, when I, because I do believe that angels walk the earth as well as beyond the earth, and my earth angels take the form of uh, a list of people who uh, mean the world to me, both professionally and personally, and have been a support, uh, which, because without a messenger, the message can become useless, and you have been for many years now such an incredible support to the work that we have been doing here and the message we have been working to get out to people in need so you're also an earth angel and i wanted your listeners to know that well thank you so much for saying that well, that's that's pretty awesome do i have to call you mr colborne now uh, no <laughs> no that, that that is awesome and i won't charge anything for the coffee there jim oh well thank you <laughs> So it's the, the book has got a picture of a woman uh, in a convertible with a long scarf trailing off her head. She's got sunglasses on. She's driving. She's going someplace. Bit of a Thelma and Louise theme there, maybe? Yeah, and there's, yeah. A, there's all sorts of baggage that's sort of flying up in the air as she drives, either drives off or drives through something. Yeah. And uh, so I found that picture very symbolic. Well, I cannot take credit for that at all because I am the least creative person on the planet. I have visions in my head that I cannot translate to paper. I am the one that puts wrinkles and peel and stick mailing labels. <laughs> so that, that concept is down to an incredible uh, graphics designer, graphics department on the part of my publisher. And I, I can't say enough about them. When they showed me the proof, I thought this is... What I always wanted, never knew mm -hmm. that I wanted, because that's just how my mind works. I have strong suits. Creativity is just not one of them. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm so fortunate that uh, I am aligned with people who absolutely get uh, my vision, my style, uh, and and how I want to convey the message. I did not want to convey my particular message in the ways that I see similar books, because it's just not me. It's fine for other people. This is by no means a put down, but I try and stay as true to myself and my approaches to grief recovery and life adversity recovery. Uh, And I I need to stay true to my vision. And my vision is just a little, I think, out of, uh, you know, a little off of the curve, I think, from everybody else. And my publisher got it, supported it, and I think they delivered times 10. One of the things that I, I really triggered off of in the early part of the book, Carol, is in a chapter that is called, Okay, God, Now What? And there are suggestions at the end of this chapter, and the, the first suggestion I, I read two or three times in a row, and I've reflected on this this week since I've read this. Uh, may, may I read this and share this with the audience? Oh, please. By all means, pray during the tough times, but don't forget to send the thank you note. When you pray during times of trial or difficulty, remember to say thank you after your troubled waters have calmed. Look at it this way. When we were young, we were always taught to write a thank you note after receiving a gift. Our answered prayers are a gift. Wouldn't you agree? And Carol, I thought about this, that so many times we wait until we've got our back against the wall and then we start praying and asking for help. And I've tried in my more recent years, maybe it's because I've hit my head so many times or I've gotten older and and hopefully a little wiser, but I've tried to remember to pray during the good times too, to kind of get in that habit of being thankful, uh, feeling like I've been blessed, um, and I think that helps prepare us if we, if we can do that sort of work when we really don't need the help so that when we do, we've got that, uh, that basis set. Would you, would you comment on that? Um, absolutely. We all pray in times of need and in times of want. I mean, right now, everybody's praying about winning the billion-dollar lottery. Oh, my goodness. Uh, mm-hmm. I pray that the Dallas Cowboys will figure stuff out every Sunday. <laughs> uh, you know, so we, we, all do, we all do things like that. And then, of course, we pray in times of trial, uh, certainly during any kind of loss at all. We pray for strength. We perform they take. Do we remember to say... Thanks, God. I, I, I really I, I really appreciate that. You know, I believe personally that God answers all prayers. It's just sometimes the answer is no. You know, our parents didn't always say yes to us when we were growing up. Sometimes the answer was no. And I don't ever remember a time liking it when my parents said no, but they, <laughs> they did. And usually it was because they had my best interest at heart. There was always, a, a, in my parents' case, there was always a pretty good reason. And that's how I view God. God says no to all of us all the time. And we don't always like it. I know I don't. But I also find out that if I hang in there and if I'm patient, which is, again, not one of my strong suits, by all that with creativity, that there always seems to be 
a reason that follows. I don't maybe necessarily like the reason, but there always seems to be something that reveals itself. And so, Scott, in, in keeping with what, what you're saying, every, every night when the house is quiet and it's just me and myself and, and the dark, I try and find one good thing in the day to say thank you, God, for. Sometimes you have to look really hard. <laughs> Sometimes you look back on the day and, and we've all had those days. And I still try and find the one thing to say thank you for. You know, maybe it was just the fact that I could put feet to floor. Uh, so, you know, cause, you know, we all have those rough days. But I always try to find the one thing in the day. And I really, really try to remember to send the thank you note when I receive a blessing that takes any form. And if it takes form of the lottery, I'll be sure to let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Folks, this is Carol Brody Fleet and the brand new book uh, that as Jim is is looking at here is Loss is a Four-Letter Word, a Bereavement Boot Camp for the Widowed. And when we come back after the top of the hour break, um, Carol, let's talk about lesson number one. Somebody has experienced the immediacy of the loss, and this lesson is titled, I'm Still Here. Right. Our friend and colleague, Carol Brody Fleet, Jim Shorty, myself, and you guys and gals out there, we're grateful to have you listening. Next week, we celebrate 34 years of broadcast. It's great to be here drinking strong black coffee, having conversation, and hanging out with you. Please stay tuned. We've got more coming up right after this. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mesa and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And NET, Nebraska's PBS and NPR stations, Hosting the national radio broadcast of the Music and Variety Show, live from here with Chris Thiele, featuring special guests Wilco frontman Jeff Tweedy and comedian Todd Berry at the Lead Center in Lincoln on Saturday, October 27th. Ticket information at leadcenter.org or 402 472 4747. Lincoln Literacy assists people of all cultures and strengthens the Lincoln community by teaching English language and literacy skills. Whether it's adult basic literacy or English as a learning language, Lincoln Literacy offers a wide range of both one-on-one tutoring and classes held across the city. Open enrollment is scheduled for every Monday and Saturday, and regular training sessions are held for volunteer tutors. For more information, call 402-476-READ or visit lincolnliteracy.org. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. 
I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. I'm Scott Colborn, and Jim Shorty's over here. You guys and gals are out there listening live all over the world. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for taking time from your weekend schedule to hang out with us. Our special guest this morning is Carol Brody Fleet, and she's the author of the brand new book with a very striking front cover. Uh, This is going to be a book that uh, if you saw this on a bookshelf, you'd want to pick it up and look at it because it just... Uh, it really speaks to you. It says, loss is a four-letter word. On the front of the book, there's a picture of a, a woman with a scarf on, a pair of sunglasses. She's driving a convertible, and there's baggage kind of flying up in the air. I would say she's driving at a high rate of speed. And she's uh, some of that baggage, uh, symbolically, she's leaving behind. And I think that's an interesting uh, metaphor. So before the break, I asked Carol to talk about, in the book, uh, lesson number one, that somebody, and now folks, we're really, we're talking to you out there in our listening audience. You are somebody that you know have experienced recently loss. And lesson number one is, I'm still here. Here's Carol. Well, the, starting out with this is important. First of all, it's an, it's an overview of the book in its entirety. But it is so important to remind people right at the time of loss that, yes, this is a tragedy. And, yes, this is really, really difficult. And for many, it can be the hardest thing that they've experienced in their lives. But we can't ever lose sight of the fact that we are still here. We have been left behind by someone or maybe many someones that we love. We have been left to live this life, but we're still here. And it's because we're still here that automatically makes us entitled to the lives that we truly want to live. And it's so sad to me that people lose sight of that fact. And it's easy to do because you get mired in the grief and all of the accompanying emotions that you forget about the fact that, oh, yeah, there's still a life that's, that's out there for me to live. Sometimes all you need is just a little bit of a nudge and a little bit of education as to how to move forward into that life and start to frame and design and be the architect of that new life. And that's hopefully what I am able to do. And what I, I love about the Bereavement Boot Camp, and it's, it's a component that I actually brought back from the first book, Widows Wear Stilettos, is that there are areas to journal, and there are areas to, to write out goals, and who are you going to share your healing journey with, because that is so critical. That's so important. Who are you going to share a commitment to Bereavement Boot Camp with? Why did you choose that person or people? And how do you feel about sharing the fact that you're going to commit to a healthy and positive and proactive recovery? 
And the great thing about journaling, actually writing things down with a pen on paper, is that it, it forces you not to hurry. You have to slow down. We can't work as quickly pen to paper as we do on a computer. But it's also a wonderful way to be able to see your progress in real time six months from now, a year from now, five years from now. You can see where you started at the time of loss, at your time of of hopelessness, of despair, of fear, of uncertainty, because those are things we all go through. You've been there, Scott. Mm-hmm. These are things that we all go through when we suffer a loss. And you see how you're progressing through that toward a new life, into a new life, and to a place of peace and abundance and joy and happiness and all the things that we still deserve even after a loss has happened. I was uh, uh, married at one time and went through a uh, separation and divorce, and there were times that I would go out on my back deck at night after I had the kids uh, asleep, and I would stand looking at the stars and just pray and say, you know, I do not have a clue. I don't know which way to go. I'm going to go some way, and I'm going to trust in this process that there is an intelligence that I call God, some people call creator, all that is, there is an intelligence that is uh, going to help me, and I'm going to allow myself to be helped. So I'm going to show up, I'll do my best, at the same time, (laughs) I really need the help because I don't have a clue. And people talked about a long, dark night of the soul as if it's just one night, but for many of us, it's a lot longer than that. And Carol, uh, one of the things I admire about you is that you're not telling people to just get over it and hurry up. <laughs> you know, come on now. Everybody else, uh, you know, does this and this and this, and so you should too. Uh, you treat everybody as a unique individual, uh, and yet you say when you feel, because here are the, the things that will pop up, when you feel like it's time to move forward, then here's some ways to do that. That we all have kind of a unique um, take on this. Uh, loss hits each one of us in a very unique way, doesn't it? Absolutely. And of course, you used one of the phrases that I absolutely despise, and that is get over it. Yeah. Because we don't get over it. And you also used one of my favorite phrases, which is move forward. Because when you are moving forward from something, you are taking the experience with you. You're not going to get over it. It takes its residence in your heart, and you are bringing it along with you into the new life. Here's what happens when we say get over it. The person who is hearing that phrase is subliminally processing that is, okay, got to leave that behind. No memories, no talking about it, no nothing. I have to leave that in the past. It's, it's done. It's over with. I have to get over that. That's not how it works because what you've just done is bifurcated your life into an either-or proposition. I can either get over this and move forward, never speak of it again, or I can stay in in the past and try and live a life that is no longer here for me to live. Loss of this magnitude forever alters you. 
you cannot possibly be the same person. It, it, it's just not possible. So now you are trying to live a life that is not there for you to live. You, and so th- that's the problem with the whole get over it thing. And then you brought up something else, Scott, that I want to address. When somebody says, well, Scott, it's been X amount of months or years since your fill-in-the-blank, why aren't you over it? You should be over it. You know, you're, you're, you're dwelling. They are using their healing timeline or what they perceive to be their healing timeline on you. So you need to adhere to their healing timeline. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. And therein lies the problem, because especially people in a vulnerable state, which loss makes us vulnerable, it's emotional, it's fragile. You think to yourself, well, I'm not over it, and I'm not moving according to the timeline that this person has set out for me. So clearly there's something wrong with me. And that's where your brain goes. We, we all know that we gravitate toward what we focus on. And if somebody says that to you and you don't fall right into lockstep with someone else's healing timeline or their perception of the healing timeline, well, there must be something wrong with me. And that's the last thing we want when somebody is moving through loss is to think that there's something wrong with how they're feeling or how they're coping or what their outlook is. So that's why we have to be so very careful of who we share our healing journeys with and our goals and our hopes. We've got to be really careful of who we are allowing to influence and couch one of the most important journeys we'll ever take in our lives. Um, When we encounter people that have experienced loss of any, any type, a lot of us are uncomfortable because we are ourselves uncomfortable with the idea that something's been changed or altered, and a lot of us don't like change at all. Um, And so it's hard for a lot of us to try to be in the moment and offer just a kind word when we ourselves are really having and have had a tough time with loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes we have those people that that kind of project some of their own frailty upon our situation. Um, Carol offers a, a way forward, which is, um, I think, essential because uh, Leonard Cohen said the cracks are where the light gets in. And Nobody's going to get through this life without some scars, without some um, life experience that they wouldn't have said, yeah, I'm going to choose that when I'm 35. Yep, I'm going to pick that when I'm 50. But part of that shapes who we then are. And I like the fact that Carol says that we've got a voice in that person that we are going to become. We can honor the past, but we don't have to be mired and stuck in in that because there's going to be a tomorrow. Uh, embracing the new you. Carol, who is the new you? <laughs> the new you is 
it, it's a way of again, and I was speaking to to widows predominantly in the in the book, but embracing the new you is understanding the fact that, that you cannot possibly be the same person because your life has been explicably altered. I like to talk about pre-widow Carol and post-widow Carol. And pre-widow Carol was, you know, someone I would have liked to hang around. She was fun and she was the life of the party and, you know, had, uh, you know, the cool, I was the cool mom and had all the parties for all the kids and, uh, you know, ate pizza for breakfast and, you know, all, all, all that stuff. I, I, you know, Pre-Widow Carol trusted people, and because, uh, you know, nobody really ever gave me a reason not to trust people. Uh, maybe, you know, a couple of ex-boyfriends here and there, but that's another book. Um, you know, it, and that was pre-Widow Carol, and then, all of a sudden, post-Widow Carol showed up to the party. And at first, I really didn't like post-Widow Carol, because she was not a lot of fun. She was a big drag and didn't care that she was a big drag. Uh, uh, not a lot of smiling, and when it was, it was just, it was phony. It was very, very put on. Uh, and that was if smiling even ever happened. Uh, didn't have a lot, post-Widow Carol didn't have a lot of patience for much of anything. Um, it, it, she just seemed like a really big drag on everything and everyone around her. And then, I took another look at post-widow Carol. And, yeah, you know, maybe she didn't trust as readily as she once did because people betrayed her. And people that she always thought would be around chose to instead abandon her, you know, leaving her to look at a young child's face and say, Mommy, why don't they love me anymore? True story. But post-widow Carol also had some really wonderful people in her life that were going to get her through this. And post-Widow Carol found out just exactly how strong she could be. Because when you go through a loss like this, anyone, you find out the depths of your metal. You find out exactly the character that is at your core. And this Carol will never cut and run when the going gets tough. This Carol became a better mother of a better friend, a better daughter, a better entrepreneur, and eventually, again, a better wife and partner to the new love of her life. And I finally just figured out that post-Widow Carol was pretty okay, too. Different, absolutely, but... You know, uh, I mean, pre-Widow Carol was one of those people who always said, I don't mind change as long as everything stays the same. <laughs> and post-Widow Carol has learned that change is part of the paradigm. And that all needs to be embraced. And it is new. And it is unfamiliar. And unfamiliarity can be uncomfortable. But it can also show you dimensions to your, of yourself that you never dreamed of, that you never thought about, and that you can come to embrace. Now, do I recommend going through the fire of widowhood or the trials of loss? No, but we also have to recognize that, you know, if you get up in the penguin suit or the big white gown, 
your chances are 50% that you are going to add the badge of widow to, to your life story. So that right there, that's just widowhood. Just by living, we are going to lose someone or something. It's, and it's not if, it's when. And it doesn't even matter what that loss is. But when you're talking about a loss of this magnitude, you are going to be altered. And you might not like some of, uh, some of the things that, that you become as a result. But when you take that second look, and you look really, really hard, I'll bet you will come to the same realizations that I eventually came to post, uh, post-loss. This is really a, uh, uh, and I mean this in a, a very positive way, this is a very hip book. It's very current. Carol's got a chapter called Doing Social Safely, The Do's and Don'ts of Social Media. And um, I thought this was a really interesting chapter because uh, in, I should say, with the advent of a lot of social media stuff in, let's say, the last 10 years, a lot of people have gone online looking for that uh, perhaps next step in uh, building a relationship with somebody else, uh, testing the waters, seeing who else is out there. We've got uh, all sorts of dating websites and ways to meet people. Uh, And there are some real do's and don'ts, aren't there, Carol? Absolutely. And I want to say at the outset that I'm a huge advocate of what the Internet has come to offer us in terms of community, in terms of dating possibilities. I think it's fantastic. Uh, it allows people uh, who feel isolated or in small pockets of uh, uh, smaller towns to get out of their, you know, metaphorically out of their immediate surroundings and, uh, and see what, who and what else is out there. If your idea of meeting, you know, your, the next big love of your life is not sitting in a bar on a Friday night, if that's not your, your idea of, uh, of a, a, a prospective uh, successful relationship, this is a great avenue. But, and this is important, we have to be smart and we have to have our defenses up. I don't like to put it like that, but it's true, especially in the community that I served, serve, which is predominantly the, the bereaved community. Again, at a time of vulnerability and at a time of loneliness, which is a huge issue, of course, we tend to let our guard down because we are hungry for companionship wherever and however we can get it. Sometimes that, can, that, that makes you ripe for the baddies out there. You know, with every good thing, unfortunately, comes along the bad. We see it after our nation experiences tragedies where uh, legitimate charities are undermined by scammers who try and get money off of you uh, for, you know, right now it's obviously hurricane victims that we are rushing to help, and we should. But you will always get the scammers, and I, and I have to constantly remind people on social media, please be careful where you put your heart and your wallet. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for, it's true. I have seen the, uh, the stories, actual terrible stories. You'll recall that there's a widow who shared her story in When Bad Things Happen to Good Women, where um, she fell prey to 
somebody who was going to be the next love of her life, and two hundred fifty thousand dollars later. Oh my geez. Yeah, yeah. Found out that she had been scammed by somebody offshore, uh, working in a you know a, really a, a boiler room, if you will. And that's all they do is they they look for uh, people who have endured loss or divorce or uh, have lost a job and oh you know here's how you can get five million dollars in your bank tomorrow uh, they are out there and the social media platforms that I've you know spoken with and what have you have really stepped up and are are doing. But they're doing, I think, much better in terms of shutting that down. But it's really a game of whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. And you have to appreciate that they can only – there's only so many ways that you can marshal billions of people. And that's billions with a B. So you have to be smart for you. And there's all kinds of ways in the book that I advise, you know, how to be safe, how to be smart. You know, if somebody asks to be your friend – who do you have in common with them, first of all? If you don't have anybody in common with them, okay, uh, what, do, what do they do for a, a living? What do they say that they do? Um, if you're talking about things like Facebook, how many posts do they have? How many pictures do they have? Um, you know, what is the verbiage that they use? There are so many ways to vet the people that you invite into your social circle online that can really help eliminate or, you know, reduce the chances that you're going to be the victim of a scammer and and how to tell if somebody is making that attempt. And these are all important directions, especially in this day and age. I don't Mm -hmm. ever want to demonize online dating or social media because that's too easy and it's not fair. We don't hear about the success stories. You know, I know numerous people who have met online and wound up married as a result. But we don't hear about that, except, of course, on commercials where the, uh, there's a website that's advertising. Um, we, we don't hear about the success stories. You know, I didn't meet my husband online, but because he lived a little east of me, I'm in Southern California, he was in Coventry, England, um, a great deal of, of the infancy of our relationship took place online. And we were both very careful, one of the other. Uh, and, and took our time to get to know each other very well before even really personal information was divulged. You know, and if, if his uh, you know first couple of emails, he asked me for money, I probably <laughs> would have jettisoned him. But you'd be surprised at how many people don't. Um, it's, and, you know, and again, I, I don't like to, uh, you know, paint with a sweeping brush. Women are not the only people who get scammed. Men get scammed, too. Absolutely. Oh, Carol, so everybody's- there isn't a day that goes by that on Facebook, because I'm gregarious and outgoing and I love, uh-huh. I love people. There isn't a day that goes by that I get a friend request, and sometimes it's the same woman's picture with a different name oh, yeah. being circulated. Right. Well, I get and- those, too. And, well, yes, Jim, yeah, the, sure. the point I'm making is that we, we get these sorts of things, and it would be easy to, um, to say yes to every one of those, mm-hmm. and then you get the private message yeah, saying, um, I'd like to get to know you better, and then within about two or three paragraphs, it's in a place where it really shouldn't be in terms of being appropriate. Uh-huh. 
Um, exactly. Or how about the mm-hmm. how about the women? I've got uh, many women friends that say, you know, a sure turnoff is when a guy tries to send her a picture of himself semi-nude. <laughs> I'm just laughing and shaking my head, going, "Okay, can, can I just can I just speak on behalf of my people?" <laughs> sure. Yes, please um, do. You know, when uh, when I and I teach uh, I teach dating workshops. Uh, at conferences, and uh, and I talk about online dating, and I will look at the men, and I will say this in all sincerity. Mm-hmm. Guys, I love you. Really, I do. I love men. I think they're great. I married one. But I got to tell you, if you are using, if, if, for a profile picture, I don't care if it's on Facebook or on a dating website, a picture of you in a bathroom wrapped in a towel with no head pointing a phone at a mirror is creepy and gross. And I don't care what you look like. Everybody has at least one friend. Get out of the bathroom, put some clothes on, hand your phone to a friend, and smile. Well said. Okay? That is, and you you would be stunned, or maybe not, at the number of guys who do that. That's not, that, that, that's, remember, your a profile picture, wherever it is, is your handshake. Mm-hmm. It is your cyber handshake with the world. Is that how you want to shake somebody's hand. I hope not. Women, you know, it's the same thing. You know, showing a picture of yourself that's fun and flirty, that's fine. It'll get you sincere compliments. But if you show a picture of yourself in a bikini contest or in lingerie or beer bonging, you are not going to get sincere compliments. You're going to get sincere propositions. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. message do you want to send? It's all about being smart. And you would be surprised at the number of women who put up pictures just like that and then are mortified at the messages they receive. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you putting out there? You know, you, you, we, we have to be smart online. We, we have to be, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be attractive and putting your best foot forward, but let's be smart. Yep. This is Carol Brody Fleet, and Carol, after we come back from the bottom of the hour break, um, you have received so many inquiries over the years with the publication of your multiple books now. I'd like to have you pick out maybe a common denominator. I'm not sure if I want to use the term problem, but a, a theme or a question that a lot of people address to you. And let's come back and talk about that. Okay. This is Carol Brody Fleet. And let me give you some ways to contact Carol here. This is a really fun title. I don't think you're going to have any problem forgetting this. After the three W's in dot, it's widowswearstilettos.com. Okay, how about carolfleetspeaker.com? And you'll also find Carol... Brody Fleet, C-A-R-O-L-E, Carol Brody Fleet on Facebook. She's written, Widows Wear Stilettos Happily Even After When Bad Things Happen to Good Women and this most latest book, The Brand New Loss is a Four-Letter Word, a Bereavement Boot Camp for the Widowed. And again, folks, um, I've written an endorsement for the book that's inside the the book cover, Uh, so caveat emptor, but I want to tell you that I have not discovered anybody else 
that's had the insights about loss and grief and when it's time to move forward out of that, there's nobody else like Carol Fleet. So stay tuned for more conversation. We're going to be right back after some music from Enigma, our bottom of the hour announcements. And again, it's great to know that you folks are out there listening live all over the world and also to the archive of the program. It'll be posted in about a week here. Scott Colborn with Jim and Carol and you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from The Bay, The Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and The Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. Saturday brings Crash Cuddle and Mobius to The Zoo Bar at 9.30. And The Bourbon Theater hosts Desert Noises with Morning Teleportation and Freakabout at 9. That's live music happening this week in Lincoln. Lincoln Literacy assists people of all cultures and strengthens the Lincoln community by teaching English language and literacy skills. Whether it's adult basic literacy or English as a learning language, Lincoln Literacy offers a wide range of both one-on-one tutoring and classes held across the city. Open enrollment is scheduled for every Monday and Saturday, and regular training sessions are held for volunteer tutors. For more information, call 402-476-READ or visit lincolnliteracy.org. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
says, you know I love you, baby And I got a ride I hear the call of the road in his side Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty and you guys and gals were exploring unexplained phenomena and Carol Brody Fleet is our guest. She's the author of the brand new book, Loss is a Four-Letter Word, a Bereavement Boot Camp for the Widowed. And over the years, you've received lots of correspondence from people, lots of emails uh, in your lectures to the public. You've had people that have come up and, and talked to you. What would be maybe a couple of the common questions or denominators that what are people asking about? Well, I think if I only could pick one thing, um, so many letters, so many comments will start out with the words, you know, is it okay to Mm. fill in the blank? Or when is it appropriate to fill in the blank? And what I found that to be code for is I really want to do this, or I'm really feeling that and I need someone else to tell me that that's okay because somebody somewhere has implied that it isn't and I I finally I named it the permission factor because that's what it is they are looking for somebody somewhere to say yeah it's okay and there is no such thing as appropriate when is it appropriate to date when is it appropriate to sell my house when is it appropriate to take off my rings I'll start from there and work backwards. As long as you are not coping in a destructive manner, and there's a whole chapter now on coping with destructive avenues in the book, as long as you're not doing that, whatever and however you decide to cope, whatever you decide to do is okay. And there is no appropriate, except as it pertains to your life. And just just hearing from another positive source of support that it's okay, whatever that it is, gives reinforcement that it is okay to do whatever it is that a, a reader or an attendee may be questioning. And the bigger reward is that you begin to trust your own instincts and judgment, because both of those things tend to take a hit during mm-hmm. time of loss. Mm-hmm. You, you, you really doubt yourself because you're afraid. And that, that is just automatically accompanied by self-doubt. So as soon as I can reinforce to somebody that whatever it is that's been planted in their heart is okay and it's appropriate, I even close the book with a whole list of things that it is okay to do or feel or be. That's, the, that, that's one of the biggest gifts that I can give is just I, I'm not – Obviously, I'm not granting permission. I'm reinforcing what somebody has it in their heart to do or has it in their head to think. Because that's a very important part of my job. That is continuing to force ownership of a healing journey uh, on the rightful owner. And and that's one of the biggest biggest, uh, issues. Um, I think some of the biggest challenges is that that uh, people face after loss is first the the feeling of isolation. You feel completely alone, mm-hmm. like and like no one understands what you're what you're going through. And again, the most important message to convey is that you're not alone. You don't have to suffer in silence. And 
the, the biggest gift that I can ever give anybody is not, a, not necessarily a book, which sounds crazy from an author, but it's community. Getting somebody into a community of like-minded and like-experienced people is the first and most important gift that I can offer somebody. And that will be accompanied by support and education, which can come through a book. But the most important thing is that somebody hears one other person say, yeah, I'm there too. And you understand that you're not alone. Another issue is feeling weak or feeling like a failure for reaching out for help. And as you know, I'm fond of saying this, it's not a sign of strength to try and navigate loss or adversity by yourself. And it's not a sign of weakness to say, I need help with this. That doesn't make you a failure. Not at all. And then, of course, my favorite, letting anybody else make decisions, whether they're practical or emotional or spiritual or mental, letting anyone else make decisions for you or allowing unsupportive or negative opinion to become your primary influence. And that's where you're going to learn about finding and using your inner voice. And that is the most important thing of all. There's a chapter in the book where Carol addresses uh, a very controversial subject. Uh, I should say there are a number of controversial topics and subjects that she addresses, but one in particular, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's let's suppose that a woman and a guy have been in a long-term relationship that is really not working out and she is going to be filing for divorce and leaving this situation and then the news comes that he's got a terminal illness and he dies and she is actually feeling relief but at the same time she's feeling some guilt some shame what does a person do there uh, can somebody be be glad that the end has come? Absolutely, and people are shocked to hear that. Uh, it's a it's a very knee jerky reaction. People will say, "Well, how can you be glad someone is dead? That's a human being, and we are diminished when we lose a human being." And and if you know you were married or or in any kind of relationship, mm-hmm. how can you be glad? Well, I know I, I you know the the lion's share of people that I work with are grieving the loss, but you'd be surprised at the number of people who are actually relieved that their own suffering within this relationship has come to an end. How does that manifest? Um, you know, people who are victims of domestic violence because and domestic violence rarely happens just once. It's usually an ongoing situation. God bless them. Yes. Um, People who endured emotional or verbal abuse, because that is every bit as painful, and that also doesn't occur just once. Um, People who lived with a substance abuser who refused to get help for themselves. That can be a a horrible and, in many cases, life-threatening experience. Um, Those who lived with somebody who was financially irresponsible or led a financial double life, and you'd be stunned at the number of times I've seen that happen, or has become a financial burden, or was was somehow or another endangering a financial security of the household. And, of course, people who lived with 
infidelity. And again, that's something that rarely happens just once. And, and these are just a few examples of reasons why somebody who is, you know, widowed on paper uh, may be relieved that their own suffering has come to an end. And it's okay to feel that relief. You know, I, I have not met a widow ever who hasn't felt guilty about some aspect of their widowhood, mm-hmm. including myself. Mm-hmm. My guilt was because I didn't feel like I took good enough care of Mike when he was battling ALS. Now, mind you, the medical community can't cure his illness, but somehow I was supposed to be able to. And I felt guilty after he died. I absolutely did. You talk to a widow, you will find something they feel guilty about. Imagine feeling relieved. Now, let's double down on that. Who are you going to talk to about that? Who are when you when you muster up the courage to say those words? Boy, are you you're really taking a chance because what do you what response are you going to be met with? I mean that that is that's a huge burden that a lot of widowed bear. And Carol, in our in our culture, through um, TV shows, through movies, through books we read, encounters with friends business associates, we find that even in this day and age, one of the ways that people cope with a sudden shock is through alcohol and drugs. Right. When they experience the loss of a job, the loss of a a long-term partnership or marriage breaking up, the loss of a significant loved one of a great friend, Somehow we've reinforced this stereotype that instead of dealing with and really experiencing from the bottom up the depths of the emotion about it, we want to numb the pain with alcohol and and drugs. Uh, And it may be a temporary patch, but it blocks a movement forward, and it may then create some really serious problems. Can you speak exactly. on that, Carol? Absolutely. You know, for years I've been talking about destructive coping, but it wasn't until this book that I actually did a deep dive into it. And um, and maybe it, it took this long because I've now, you know, spoken with, in one form or another, hundreds of thousands of widowed. And we uh, we do tend to go to, when I mentioned destructive coping, we go to alcohol and drugs in our head. And we go to prescription and non-prescription drugs and illicit drugs in our head. But there are so many other kinds of coping mechanisms that I have found in the widowed community. Uh, in addition to uh, alcohol and drug abuse, there is compulsive behavior. Uh, sexually compulsive behavior, uh, compulsive shopping, compulsive gambling. There is self-harming. We more commonly refer to it as cutting. It's the most common form of self-harm. There is disordered eating. And disordered eating is not just anorexia. There are many different kinds of disordered eating. What do all of these things have in common, with the exception of suicidal ideation, which I also go into in in this particular area of the book, 
All of these things momentarily feel good. Alcohol tastes good. Drugs, numb. Or they accelerate energy. Or they, they have some kind of pleasant, momentarily pleasant effect. Shopping, well, that goes without saying. I, I, I have made shopping an art form, and I readily admit that. Uh, gambling, eating, all of these things are momentarily pleasurable and or momentarily anesthetizing. Here's the problem with anesthesia of any kind. It wears off. And it wears off in the form of a hangover or a credit card bill or losing your your health because of an eating disorder or far, things that are far worse. And one of the most important aspects of the book is in the back of the book, you will find a whole host of resources that stand ready and able to help you if you are coping destructively or if you are tempted to cope destructively. First of all, again, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed and don't feel guilty. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't want you to cope that way, but but we're all tempted to just want to make the world go away and certainly to make the pain go away because we don't like pain hurts. But there are people out there that can help you. We can help you cope, cope in healthy and positive and promising ways. And we can help you figure out why you are tempted to cope or why you are coping the way that you are. You know, no, it, nothing is random when it comes to destructive coping. People choose their, their methodology for a reason. And there are people that can help you figure that out. And there is a wonderful list of resources along with contact information in the back of the book for you or anybody you know who is coping with any kind of life adversity in a destructive manner. We, can, we also, in the book, will also help you determine if you are or could possibly be headed down a destructive path. You know, is, is, is a sexual involvement for the right reasons, in the, in the right paradigm and the right model is you know is gambling for fun is it a weekend in vegas or is it turned into much more than that is you know what happens when one drink is too many and 10 is not enough mm-hmm. we can help you you don't have to do this alone and you don't have to do it destructively uh, carol we've got about two minutes left and um i'd like to turn the microphone over to you and ask you to speak uh, on anything from your heart to my audience as a prompt, uh, maybe talk about one of the big myths of widowhood. Oh my gosh, only two minutes on that one? <laughs> uh, the, I, think, I think one of the, the, big myth, the, the biggest myths of widowhood is when you lose your spouse and for some reason you get it into your head, well, that's it for me. I've caught my limit, and, um, well, that's it. And that's, that's completely untrue. Now, I, I'm quick to say, if you decide, for whatever reason, that you're going to be just fine on your own, and that's how you want to remain, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I had made that choice for a lot of years before I met Dave and was happy in it. I did not marry Dave out of loneliness or need of, of any kind, really. I 
I married Dave as a compliment to my life, not to complete it. I was absolutely, uh, absolutely happy. Dave was just a wonderful compliment and addition to that life. So if you choose to remain on your own, that's great. However, no matter what religion, if any, no matter what the ceremony, the words are till death do us part or words to that effect. When you say goodbye to your spouse, you both fulfilled your end of that bargain. You were married till death did you part. How many people can say that in this day and age? That is a wonderful legacy to carry forward. But till death do us part has happened now. Death has parted you. And now you're moving ahead into a new life. And again, you can inform and couch and be the architect and build however you want that life to look like. And if you want that life to include companionship, if you want it to include love, with or without the benefit of marriage, your heart is big enough to accommodate love for the person to whom you said goodbye, as well as any anything and everything that you want to bring into your heart as well. There are no limits except the ones that you impose. This is not like, you know, a sale at the grocery store. There are no <laughs> buying limits here. There, your heart can expand to include as much love as you want. And I really do believe that one of the biggest myths of widowhood is that your life ends with your spouse. And like we, we talked about at the top of the show, I'm still here. You're still here. And that means that you have an entitlement. It's a basic entitlement that we all have to embrace every bit of what life has to offer every single one of us. We just have to get up and go after it. It's always great, Carol, to spend time with you. And congratulations on this new book. I hope it's read by many, many people, and it provides much guidance and benefit. Uh, My last question is that what does Carol Brody Fleet like to do for fun? Sleep. Um, (laughs) I identify with that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Sleep is awesome. It's so underrated. It is. Um, No, I, I... I love to go to the gym. I have a, a wonderful time there. It's my, my, my sacred time and jump up and down to amazing music and, and sweat like crazy. Um, I love the, uh, the little traditions that I have with my family, whether it's late night texting with my daughter or uh, first thing in the daytime coffee with my husband when it's just a, an opportunity to reconnect with the people that I love the most, and I try and make time every single day to do that. Um, and yes, I do like to go shopping, and, um, and it's NFL season. It's NFL season, so you'll always find me screaming profanities at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Carol, we uh, will look forward to talking with you again on Saturday, December 29th, our special end-of-year show, and our title is A New Year, A New You. Thank you, Carol, That's for all right. that you I can't do. Wait. Thank you, Scott. And congratulations, you guys, on 34 years. Here's to 34 more. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon, my Thank friend. Thank you. And you. Take care. Carol Brody Fleet. You're going to find her a number of ways. Carol is C A R O L E, by the way. The website widowswearstilettos.com or carolfleetspeaker.com. You'll find Carol Brody Fleet also on Facebook. The brand new book, Loss is a Four-Letter Word. 
Jim, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Scott. I um, gotta, I gotta say, what a delightful guest Carol is. Yeah. Like, where do you find people like this? Yeah, You're just awesome. She's a blessing, I think, she for is. all of us. I'm going to go home here shortly and do a bunch of pine needle raking. I have very few leaf-bearing trees in my yard, but I got a couple of pines and spruces, and they are dropping needles like crazy. It looks like a blizzard. Yeah. So I'm going to go out and do some That's raking. It's a little breezy out there, too. What a day for this. 56 degrees. Okay, Jim. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. See you next week. Guys and gals, thanks so much for being out there. We appreciate you. Stay tuned for Vic. He's got a great program coming up right now. Until next week, I'm Scott Colborn. Special thanks to Carol and you guys and gals out there. Walk in beauty. <laughs>